This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast. Uh, Once again, I am Mallory Ortberg, otherwise known as Dear Prudence. We are back with another episode, Chock-A-Block with Advice. Uh, This week in the studio with us is our guest, Lisa McIntyre, who is a wonderful person and who I look forward to fighting with. Uh, That's going to be fantastic. And before we get started, I want to give you all a piece of general life advice. If you would like to incorporate more joy into your week, I strongly recommend that you go see the audience at Bad Moms. I'm going to try to do everything by myself today, which should be fine. I don't encourage that you see the movie Bad Moms. Uh, Maybe you want to see it, maybe you don't. I've seen it twice now, not because I think it's an especially good movie, but because the first time I was so overwhelmed by the feeling that I had accidentally stumbled into church. And I mean that in the best possible sense, that I could not help but go back a second time. Guys, everyone who's going to see Bad Moms is so happy to be there. They have been waiting their whole lives for this moment. It was like seeing Magic Mike again, which, again, not to say that Bad Moms is anywhere on the level of Magic Mike, but every single man, woman, and child in that theater was having the time of their life. It was like everyone had just come from a bad divorce and was just like, you know what? I just want to watch Mila Kunis put on a pantsuit, spill some coffee on herself, 
and then later get oral sex. No BHA, no BHT, no sesame, no soy, and of course, no nuts or eggs or milk or butter or salt or sugar or wheat. No. What's that now? I'm so tired of trying to be this perfect mom. I'm done. Uh, And that's exactly what they got. And there's nothing I love more than watching other people experience joy. And I got that so deeply in the Bad Moms audience that uh, even if you think it's not a movie that you would enjoy, I I do recommend going probably to a matinee and just watch the people watching Bad Moms. Bad Moms. Oh, I'm in. To Bad Moms! That's all the advice I have for you right now. Uh, I do want to, before we get started... Thank you all for uh, giving us your feedback on that HR question we asked recently. Lots of you wrote back. Lots of you have many thoughts and feelings about HR, which was part of my plan all along. And uh, I did want to read one letter I got that felt very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Representational of of the letters as a whole. It, it's I've seen this letter a lot. And this this, I think, will interest some of you. Dear Prudence. I spent 23 years in a corporate environment, spending 11 of those years in senior management and executive positions before taking retirement. I also spent 22 years working with companies ranging from mid-sized to extremely large on a variety of business problems. In my experience, the notion that the human resources functions exists first and foremost to benefit employees is a delusion. I don't think serving employees ever was the purpose of HR and not one I have ever seen in practice. HR exists to assure process effectiveness and legal compliance in employee-related matters, such as recruiting, hiring, orientation, benefits, training, payroll, and performance. These are areas where the company can get into big trouble with potentially huge financial penalties if it violates legal boundaries. It does not exist to assure employee happiness, job satisfaction, or career path optimization. It does not exist to resolve employee workplace conflicts, such as coworker friction, perceived supervisory conflict or unfairness, or failure of the work unit to accommodate an employee's preferences and sensitivities. If you are receiving illegal discrimination, racial, religious, age-based, etc., or harassment, sexual or otherwise, or are receiving treatment not reflecting the company's policies, go to HR. If it's anything else, HR is not the place. If your boss doesn't like you, doesn't communicate with you, or doesn't understand you, HR is not the place to take your grievances. Always remember, HR works for the company, and its top priority is looking out for the company's interests, not yours. What I'm addressing is not what HR could or should be, but what I have observed as the prevailing norm. So there you have it. There's a pretty clear division of powers. If someone's doing something illegal, you can go to HR. If not, go somewhere else. Lisa, is that your experience with HR? Well, what comes to mind is that um, HR is not the preferred terminology in Silicon Valley. Oh, my. Uh, In Silicon Valley, it is people operations, which I kind of love. That sounds like the people mover, that old ride at Disneyland that that one lady got smushed by. Exactly. Or I think about like little... Little Lego figures. Somehow you're you're operating the people and arranging them in the little slots. It's certainly a little vaguer than human resources, which I would have thought a difficult trick to pull off. Yeah. But um and then you shorten it to people ops and um then you're you're good to go and you can disrupt on your merry way. Great. Now all I can picture, by the way, is uh Lando's assistant from Cloud City, the guy who had the <laughs> sort of little um uh, mechanism implanted in the back of his head, and he mostly just blinked. I, I'm sure that's what they had in mind. That's that's HR. All right, just a guy with a big People mechanism operations. on the back of his head, wishing he could help. 
I feel bad. I don't I don't mean for this podcast to to come down on HR, um, but it, it definitely seems like I, I mean, I remember my previous office jobs where at least for lower level employees, the sort of idea was, oh, yeah, HR is probably there if I have a problem that I can't talk to you about my boss with. And it seems like maybe part of the problem, at least, is just this misperception of what HR can and can't do. Sure. And it also seems like the kind of misperception that comes with being a younger employee, perhaps, of thinking that there's going to be some kind of referee for you. Also, capitalism ruins us all. Yes. Is, I think, the real lesson to be drawn from this. Yeah. The modern workplace is a hellscape, and uh, it's a miracle that any of us make it out alive. Except for mine. Except for yours, which I'm sure is great. And you have to say for fear of being fired and not being able to take care of yourself, which is why capitalism is, (laughs) as mentioned previously, a hellscape. I... I take the fifth. Sorry to all the robber barons who listen to this show. <laughs> I I apologize uh, for hurting your feelings. Anyway, so yes, as I said, this is Lisa McIntyre. She, as you might have guessed, works in Silicon Valley. She also lives and loves there, presumably. And uh, you've held a number of jobs in your day. Do you want to talk about any of them? Or would you rather talk about something else? Hmm. I have held a number of jobs. Um, or have they held me? Oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. I feel like I said. Was her up I for not this. here for puns? Or <laughs> I I mean it was wonderful. I thought that's why I was brought on. It was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Um I wish now that I'd given I'd got more uh workplace questions. Although we actually do have one that is kind of about working from home, which I'm really <laughs> looking forward to answering uh with you, but it unfortunately also involves a lot of other issues. Dear Prudence. My 18-year-old has some anxiety and depression issues. She's in therapy, takes medications, etc., but she has trouble keeping a job. Recently, she decided to try working as a phone sex operator. I don't have a problem with that in itself, but she lives with us, and so do her minor siblings. We struggled with allowing her to do this, and finally decided that as long as no one else was home, she could go to work, but the other condition was that she not discuss it with the younger kids. I've now found out that she shared her occupation with the children who are under 18 of family friends, explaining how it works and how she gets paid. I feel that this shows a lack of judgment on her part, and I no longer trust that she is not discussing it with her siblings and step-siblings, or working only when no one else is around. We have asked her to find some other employment, that she can no longer do this job under our roof as the kids shouldn't be exposed to this, and she could possibly be charged with something. Are we overreacting? Well... That is a cornucopia of issues. It sure is. Yeah, get us started. Lead us Lead us on. Okay. All right. I will take the charge here, and I will say I think that the job is a distraction from what is actually happening here. Because Which, I think the job is not a distraction, so I'm very glad that right ooh, out the gate we're in disagreement. Okay. So I say it is a distraction because the issue is really this 18-year-old has a lack of boundaries with children and specifically her siblings. So, But hang on, this is mm-hmm. important. She did not tell her siblings. She has not violated their agreement. She told the children of family friends. Oh, true. Who, I mean, it's certainly possible that they're very young, although I feel like had that been the case, it would have been included in the letter. It sounds like she was having a conversation with some peers, like other teens who were maybe close in age to her. Uh, it does say she discussed it with children under 18 of family friends. Okay. Yeah. So, un- so this, yeah, she did not eight- tell her siblings. Okay. Under 18. Yeah, that's kind of... I immediately went to 
kids, but maybe she's telling it to 15-year-olds. And then it makes it sound like the mother is more concerned. Could be, could be a father. Just want to throw that out there. True. Oh, gosh. I am, I am making assumptions left and right here. Um, Happens to the best of us. Okay. Plowing ahead. It seems like there's still just boundary issues about what is appropriate and to whom does one discuss certain details of your life. Sure. So that's why I'm saying I'm not sure the issue is the job. It's that it's more about what may or may not be appropriate for talking to people. Mm -hmm. And that's my that's my initial reaction. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't want to come down excessively hard on the parents in this situation because it sounds like they are trying uh, to deal with a situation that they find really challenging, which I understand. Uh, but I do just want to preface this by saying, um, and I know working as a phone sex operator is not the same thing as traditional sex work, but it is sex work adjacent the same way that like stripping and dominatrix work often gets lumped in with this sort of category of um, it's it's demonized. It's often like uh, treated in a really different way from other work. And I just want to urge you, your daughter is just now 18. She has a depression and anxiety. She has trouble holding down a job. If you were to even, you know, the, the suggestion at the end of the letter, right, is she can't do this in our home, so we might have to kick her out. I would really strongly discourage you from considering that. It sounds like that would, you know, uh, push her further away from a safety net, uh, push her further away from people that she's close with um, and make it difficult for her to make a living. Um, and I think that often happens with young people um, who are engaging with either sex work or sex adjacent work, um, where if they try to talk about it with their family and friends, um, even with the kind of people who try to think of themselves as open minded and liberal, they're, they're saying, like, we're trying to be cool with it. But, oh, my God, she told someone who might be under 18, should we kick her out of the house? No, no, you should not. Um, and And I think that to say because she told some friends that that means she's doing this work when her younger siblings are around sounds a little bit like a moral panic to me. Like, that doesn't actually mean that she's violated the terms of your agreement. It might mean that you need to have a serious conversation and say, hey, we didn't specify this before, but we actually really don't want you telling family, friends, children, even if they're your peers, um, because we would rather not be telling people under 18, which is, I think, fair. Um, like have that conversation. Ask them, like, why did you want to tell them? Were they asking you? Had they found out from someone else? Do you feel like you can't talk to people about this? And so you were really looking for someone to share this with? Like, how are you doing? I, I think this is a kid who needs a lot of support, not like, hey, if you fuck up again, if you don't follow this rule, like you're out. Um, it doesn't sound like you have any cause to believe that she's working when the kids are home. It doesn't sound like you have cause to believe that she's telling her little siblings like, um, I would I would urge you not to look at this as an opportunity for punishment, but for asking a lot of questions and asking what else she needs. Like, is she does she feel safe when she works? You know, it, does she want to keep doing this job? Does she feel like this is her only option? Does she feel like it's helpful to her with her anxiety and depression? Like, try to find out how she feels about her work and if she would like uh, kind of more assistance with her mental health diagnoses. Like, I, I think one of the worst things you could do is say to your daughter that, you know, is depressed and anxious um, you're on really thin ice and uh, because you told other people who are maybe a little bit younger than you, we think you've somehow implicitly violated this agreement we've had and we're we're going to bring down the hammer. 
There seemed to be some kind of concern. I almost feel like the the letter writer was concerned about possible legal ramifications. Yeah, or being some, a phone like, sex operator is not illegal. And nor, I mean, nor is telling other people that right. that is your occupation. Well, so I, think, I feel like that you know, try to focus back on the mental health of your of your daughter mm-hmm. and making sure that she has what she needs. Um, being supported and, you know, finding some way that she can, you know, have a uh, successful and, you know, hopefully at some point more independent life. Yeah. And I think, too, the underlying thread of this letter to me is like, I don't have a problem with that in itself. But and then there's this really heightened anxiety. Right. Oh, she told somebody who's maybe under 18. Maybe that means she's not doing any of the things she agreed to. Maybe that means I can't trust her. Um And, like, that suggests to me that you're not as okay with it as you would like to be. And that's okay, but you need to be honest with yourself about that. And you need to share that with, like, other adults, maybe a therapist, in a healthy way that doesn't put a lot of that burden on your daughter. Um, Because what she needs right now is support and not, like, you're this bad person now that you're doing phone sex operator work and we're worried you're corrupting little kids. And, um, like, it's... Pretty appropriate, I think, to say we don't want you to tell your younger siblings. Sure. I don't think that that's uh, like unnecessarily shaming. But I think you also really need to be clear with her about like what are your goals and hopes? What does she need? How is she doing? And to just ask, could you please not, you know, if, if she then like goes around telling her siblings and like you guys have a big conflict, like that's a separate conversation. But what's happened so far, she hasn't violated your agreement. You were just a little more uncomfortable with it than you thought you were. And that's a, a little bit of discomfort in this situation, I think, is fine. I mean, you can you can have those feelings and make sure you are clear with yourself and with others what those feelings are and mm-hmm. making sure you're negotiating between expressing some of those feelings and then not shaming or judging. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to make it sound like, God, these parents just aren't cool enough. That's absolutely not what I'm trying to say. I think they're trying to do their best. But I think perhaps if you try to act like you're a little more comfortable with it than you are and something comes up that makes you realize, oh, I'm actually really threatened by this, um, you might be inclined to react without thinking in a way that's not helpful for anyone. Um, And I think probably what you would love to see is for your daughter to receive like the best treatment for her depression and anxiety and for her to be able to work in a way that um, is like creative and fulfilling and she enjoys and can make enough money to live on. Um, Maybe like moving out on her own is not a goal that you all have for the next year or two, but maybe it is for someday. And um, you want her to be healthy and well, and you want your other children to be able to have uh, a childhood where they're not kind of like given a lot of specific information about the details of phone sex operator work um, before they're 18. And I think those are all really achievable goals. I really do. But I think what needs to happen here is not you transgressed. Now we punish. But what do you need? What do we want? What are our goals? How can we work together? Open conversation. Yeah, don't. Don't throw your kids out if they're going through a really hard time and they're not putting anyone in danger. I think that that is kind of where I would always lean more towards. And I'm always going to lean a little more towards wanting to be protective of an 18-year-old who does phone sex work because the world's not going to look out for that girl very much. And if you... If you if you're not if she's not in your house, I I don't think she's going to get more support elsewhere. Um, And so I just, you know, my heart goes out to all of you, but especially to her. All right, Lisa, do you want to read one? Sure. Uh, Why don't we go with friend insists she knows me better than I know myself? Oh, yes. 
A friend I've had for 18 plus years, L, has recently, one, set me up on a surprise date against my expressed wishes, two, told me I don't want to be married just because my parents are divorced, three, insisted I will change my mind about having babies and done smaller actions to invalidate my life choices. It came to a head last year at another friend's wedding, and while there was no scene, I have been purposely distant because I have been so angry at her. Currently, Elle is pregnant and is trying to get me to come to her baby shower. How do I let go of my anger and let her be in my life again? Boy, has anyone ever changed their mind about having children because enough people said to them, you're going to change your mind about having children in the history of time? Uh, people certainly get pressured into having children, and then we kind of make it impossible for them to express ambivalence once there are children on the scene. So, mm. Mm, yeah, yeah, just big, powerful mm. sounds straight from the gut. It's just um, kind of remarkable to me, at least based on the letters we get, the degree to which people feel really free to psychoanalyze, psychoanalyze, psychoanalyze their friends and family. Uh, just in this really kind of casual way, just like, oh, I know why you don't feel like getting married. Your parents are divorced, which is a, like you would never say that to a stranger. It is amazing to me the degree to which people are like, ah, you're my friend. I can be unbelievably rude to you. Yeah, I, I'm just um, there are often so many letters like these where I'm I'm wondering where the sense of obligation comes from. So mm. she's saying 18 years. Yes, I understand that is a long friendship. Mm-hmm. However, the only bits of information we have to deal with in this letter have to do with some pretty atrocious things that were said Mm -hmm. with nothing to counterbalance. There was nothing in there to say, you know, sometimes she says dumb shit. Yeah, but we otherwise have a wonderful time together. She's really supportive. We play backgammon. Yeah. Um, and sometimes she talks out of her ass, but then she apologizes and sure. we move on. Sure. But there's none of that here. Yeah. So what, what is, I mean, other than the length of time, I'm seeing um, no redeeming qualities in this yeah. friendship. Um, do you agree? I, I do not see any in the letter. I feel like there's kind of two ways this could go, right? One is this is just a friendship that's lasted a long time. It's not a good friendship that has developed with time. Right. And she should actually ask herself, you know, do I want this person in my life? Uh, because maybe you don't. I feel like more people people often get mad at rom-coms for like upholding a strange idea about relationships, like romantic relationships. But I feel like an even bigger lie that's propagated in movies is it's really fun when your friends meddle in your life. Right. You know, when your friends <laughs> say, I hear what you're saying you want, but I've decided I know better and I'm going to go behind your back and like call that guy that I believe you're seriously in love with. Or make you go on a date or, you know, do something on your behalf against what you've said you want. And that's just a lousy thing to do. Yeah, it's all pretty horrifying. If your friend says, I don't want to get married and I don't want to be set up on dates, even if you really disagree, even if you think that in their heart of hearts they burn to wed and they just want that more than anything in the world, you don't actually get to make that call for them. Like, let that need for control go. Not everyone's going to get the life that you think they should have. And just because you've known them in a really long time does not give you the right to say, well, guess what? Fuck you. I've got a guy waiting for you in this coffee shop and I've told him everything about you and he's going to marry you whether you like it or not. Well, exactly. But also 
maybe ask yourself, why am I so invested mm -hmm. in my friend uh, making certain choices? Yeah. You know, as she, so she's saying she does not want to get married. Why are you so invested in her getting married? Because you're afraid of death. That could be one. <laughs> this this podcast could be retitled just like a queer <laughs> critique of futurity, except for I'm not sure how you pronounce futurity or and if that's correct. And I haven't read enough on the subject. But yes, I am convinced that this is all stemming from this fear of death and this need to have everyone settled and reproducing like in schedule on schedule and like according to your whims. And it's just like that's not going to happen and you're still going to die. I would say it's partly that. And I think it's always going to be partly about death. Now I'm psychoanalyzing her. So I'm doing the thing <laughs> I said she shouldn't do. I apologize <laughs> to this person, L. No, I think that I think uh, we're but we're being asked here. Right. Isn't that the difference? Like we're being asked as opposed to this friend. Yeah. Is just, yeah. Yeah. Good. We are better. We are substantially different. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just think you need to maybe step back and think, um, do I dislike her choices because I resent her freedoms? Do I resent all of the choices she gets to make in her life because she is not pinned down on a certain path? Maybe that's what's going on. Yeah, and I think the letter writer needs to ask herself, do I want to let go of my anger? Maybe you don't. Maybe you would like to not preserve this friendship and you should at least consider that option. Like, it might be that you do have a wonderful, rich friendship and you are interested in preserving it. But at least take a minute and say, what would it look like if, um, you know, I just wished her well and didn't go? And and just let that relationship naturally end. Well, I think um, the, the letting go of anger brings up an interesting question, which is, uh, is, is experiencing anger necessarily just a bad thing in and of itself, something that must be let go? I would say in this case, you are justified to be angry because your friend has said a number of terrible things to you. And I think, yeah, I, I think it can often feel like if I have a friend, we can't experience much conflict. Right. But I think a real friendship can withstand it. And and if you do want to preserve this friendship, the first step is not let go of the anger. The first step is tell her. Right. Like you, you said there was no scene at the wedding. I think you guys need a scene. Not like a scene where you say, and you're a jerk and you've never listened to me and I've always resented it. But a scene where you say, we really need to talk. Like, what you did sucked, and it made me really angry. And if you do it again, I don't think we can continue a friendship because it makes me feel like you don't listen to me, like you look down on me, and you think you know my mind better than myself. Like, I'm not not getting married because my parents got divorced, and that's really insulting for you to suggest that you know my reasons. Um, also, a lot of people's parents have been divorced, and they still get married. That's a very... That's not even good armchair psychoanalyzing. Although I think that's... That may be the rudest thing she said, but I'm still stuck on the the setting her up with someone against her express wishes. Oh, I can't that just sounds that. mortifying. I, I, Plus, I, you're involving someone else, so this third party is involved right? in this embarrassing scene. I, like I hate going out to eat with someone who reveals that they ate an hour earlier. You know, like I'm so embarrassed at the idea. Oh, no, I've like taken you out to a meal. And now you're just watching me eat. I'm so sorry. I can't imagine someone saying I really don't want to be set up and then think, you know what that means? I should set them up. Oh, yeah. horrifying. Yeah, I think you need to have an argument with her. It doesn't it, you don't have to have a scene. You don't have to yell. You don't have to say you're a monster. But um, I, I think it's really appropriate for you to, to say we got to talk because what happened cannot happen again. And if it does, it's really going to hurt our friendship. And I want you to hear that from me. I'm not trying to give you secret signals to pull me out of myself. 
I, I do not give you permission to do that. I want you to listen to me. And if she can do that and if she can apologize, sure, maybe maybe you guys can grow closer as a result and and have a different maybe slightly modified friendship where you let her in a little bit less than you used to until you feel you can trust her. But whatever's going to happen next, there's got to be at least an argument. It can be calm if you if you want, but you've got to you've got to talk it out. Yeah. And I think the way you do that is you carve out some time that is not uh, connected to the hoopla of a right. wedding and a shower and sure. all of that. You can get coffee and discuss it the best you can. Right. Give it a go, but do it do it in a in a way that is uh, outside of the um, wedding madness. Yes, because here's the deal is uh, friendship is a long game. This is not about how do I attend her baby shower comfortably. Like, that shouldn't be your goal because this conversation might be able to happen before. It might happen after. Your goal should be, can we have another 18 years of friendship? Uh, and, and that requires trust. That requires vulnerability. That requires apology. And that requires compassion. Um, and so for you to find a time, like maybe things are really crazy between now and the baby shower and you won't be able to have that conversation. And in that case, maybe you make your apologies, make up a, a conflict and you don't go to that baby shower. But the most important thing is to figure out, can the two of you be friends as adults who lead different lives and make different choices? Um, because if your goal is just, how do I make this baby shower smooth? You know, you might lose out on that friendship. And I think you should look at this from the perspective of what do I want our friendship to look like in another 18 years? Because in another 18 years, that baby's going to be 18. You know, she's not going to have it's not going to be a baby anymore. And you'll have to figure out, well, now what do I do with the next part of my life? Right. And, and that's going to matter, too. Life is long unless it's not. And um, you should think of your friendship in the same way. The only thing I would add is now I am embarrassed that I kept on saying wedding when we were talking about a baby shower. It's so unforgivable, Lisa. Well, um, I'm just saying that was embarrassing for me, but not as mortifying as being set up against my will. Oh, my that God. I would walk fills out, by the way. With dread. If somebody set me up against my will, unless I walked in and it was just like that girl Danny from season one of A Shot at Love with Tila Tequila. Like, unless it was her. You know the one I mean? The cute firefighter? No. Oh, she was so perfect. Anyways, unless it was her, I'm walking out. I'm, not, I'm now realizing that I've had someone sort of try to set me up, and it was mortifying, and it was terrible. Like without your permission? It was, the f it was someone my mom is in a choir with. Oh, wow. And choir lady just became obsessed with setting me up with her son, who was not even available and then kept on apologizing oh, to me boy. about this as it projecting as heartbreak, if you were like so disappointed projecting heartbreak you on could my be behalf when she had no idea so i was embarrassed for me mm -hmm. i was embarrassed for her mm -hmm. i was embarrassed for her son knowing there must be a just a whole world of discomfort Mm -mm. Um, having to do with his mom sharing his dating life with complete strangers such as myself. In the fifth grade, my friend Nicole was convinced that I had a crush on Sean Croc, who wore the same Metallica shirt to school every day. And so she told him during recess. And uh, I kept running away from him, which looks like a crush behavior. But I was really just embarrassed because I didn't have a crush on him. Sean, if you're listening, I think you're a great guy. You were pretty nice in fifth grade and your Metallica t-shirt was actually kind of cool. But you just need to know I did not have feelings for you. And it's not going to work out. But wait, did she th assume you had a crush 
Because of his shirt? No, she just, like, wanted me to have a crush on somebody. Okay. And I, I, you know, I came late to the crush game. And so she was just like, it's time for you to have a crush. And I, I, like, Here you go. Here's one. He was clearly, like, the last, like, boy I had had an interaction (laughs) with. Or she just, I don't know, maybe she thought I had some sort of, like, secret Metallica energy. I don't really know what her, okay, what her thoughts were. But uh, did not work out. I want to close out by talking about something that I feel I need in my personal life and by extension, because I love universalizing my own experience that the world needs, uh, which is plausible deniability ashtrays. Um, Lisa, I think you're a non-smoker. I am a non-smoker. Good for you. That's such a good idea. Uh, I have quit smoking several times over the course of my adult life, um, usually pretty successfully. I think I quit for the first time when I was 23. Uh, and that stuck for a couple of years. Then again at 25 and 28. And you might be able to tell from my voice right now, I'm currently smoking again. And it's not good for you. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I've I've heard told. It's a very bad idea. And and one of the things that's hardest about picking up smoking after you've really quit and just said, I'm I'm not going to do this again. It's bad for my health. It's bad for the environment. Uh, is that you you don't want to admit it. Like mindfulness and smoking do not go together. Mm. So you don't like get an ashtray uh, or have something to like keep butts in so you end up like walking around holding cigarette butts in your hand looking for the nearest trash can because you're a responsible adult and you don't want to litter just because you're smoking uh, and you end up ruining your favorite mug because you don't have an ashtray at home and I need an ashtray that will say you're not smoking again you don't need to go out and purchase an ashtray just bring a cup out here I'm sure you won't smoke again tomorrow oh yeah I mean, because if you start getting the accoutrements, like you're you're welcoming it back into your I life. Ruined, I ruined the only succulent plant I have ever been able to keep alive for more than a month because I was stubbing out my cigarettes in it, and that's bad for living on things. On the plant? Well, not on the plant. Like uh, you uh, monster on the on the edge of the pot. I think that's what killed it. And so now maybe I maybe it was your contempt, Mallory. <sighs> now I feel like a, I feel like the mean monster in Fern Gully <laughs> that just belches smoke and destroys things. <laughs> And that's not a good way to feel. So what I need is an ashtray that just materializes uh, and says, don't worry, you don't have to think about this. Just pretend you're not smoking. Um, Mm. I have a quit date in mind. I am cutting down in preparation for that horrible, horrible day. Um, And I look forward to being smoke free again quite soon. Are you... Okay, is the solution maybe to get a vape pen and then be so embarrassed to use it that then you stop? I can't believe I'm admitting this on the Dear Prudence podcast, but the last time I quit smoking, I purchased an e-cigarette and um, I just would vape and then get cigarettes. It was not useful to me okay. in quitting. Um, I, I, maybe lots of people it's helped and that's wonderful, but then I just, I would just vape for hours because there's no end point. Like you don't run out. You just uh, keep vaping okay. and so then it's... you feel like a creepy robot. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, it was so, not a good scene. All right. Then scratch that. No, the only the only thing, at least in, in my case, the only thing that really uh, works is just stopping. I don't I don't do well with moderate smoking. I don't do well with like having a vape pen on hand. I can't if I if I open the door a little bit, out comes the fern gully monster, mm. and it's just then everyone yells at me, and I don't like getting. I love not getting yelled at. I would say the number one reason I want to quit smoking is to not get yelled at. Number two is my health. Number one is just uh, all my friends are mad at me. And they're right, too. They're right to be mad. I I apologize to each and every one of you, and I want everyone to know that I never litter my cigarette butts. I always dispose of them in a proper receptacle, even if it means carrying them around in my hand like a very creepy monster. (laughs) 
And if you are trying <laughs> to quit smoking right now, I you have all of my love and support. Uh, you can do it. Uh, well, on that note, Lisa, I would like to thank you so much for coming into the studio today. It has been my entire pleasure, and thank- I'm so glad I could be here. Thank you so much for teaching me a new name for HR. People Ops. Live it. Love it. P-Pops. P-Pops. Pops. Pops. Thank you for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. And remember, you can hear longer, extra special bonus episodes of Dear Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews make you feel good about yourself and help new listeners find the podcast. Plus, we'd love to know what you think. Just search for Slate Dear Prudence. And don't forget, if you want us to answer your question, you can also call and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you may hear your answer on an episode of the show. I can't promise you anything because nothing in life is certain. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds or a minute, and send it to me at prudencepodcast at gmail.com. That's prudencepodcast at gmail.com. Woo!